Hey, what's good, Rocky Peak? How are we doing this weekend? Hey, it is good to be with you once again. Whether you're joining us here inside the worship center, joining us out on the patio, enjoying this wonderful morning, or if you're joining us online. And for those of you that happen to be here or are watching for the very first time, welcome to Rocky Peak this weekend. If you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Dre. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. And we're going to go ahead and we're going to go into that time of teaching. And I'm excited for kicking off a brand new mini-series with you, Rocky Peak. So I'm going to need you to do a couple things for me. The first one, legitimately, I'm just going to need you where you're at to just take a breath. Now, there's nothing magical about that, but I find often in my spiritual life that the act of just pausing to take an intentional breath is a really helpful tool in focusing me. And so as we go into this together and we go into what the Lord has us to do, that's our hope is that we're truly focused in that. So the second thing I want you to do is we kick off this new series and go in and I wanna give you permission as we're going through God's word together to get a little rowdy, Rocky Pig, because God is good and God is gonna be doing some incredible things and frankly, God is gonna be doing some challenging things. But it's okay to respond to that as we go through together. And the last thing, as Scott instructed you, if you would grab those green and white message note sheets, if you get your Bible ready, I'm going to pray and we're going to go ahead and dive right in this weekend. Jesus, you are beautiful. You are absolutely beautiful in every respect of that word. Jesus, you are far more beautiful than I can even describe or imagine or wrap my heart around. Jesus, your love is beautiful. Your grace and mercy is beautiful. Your forgiveness is beautiful. Your conviction is beautiful. Your presence is a beautiful gift. Jesus, I reflect on my life and I think of my highest of highs, so to speak the time in which the sun has been shining, the times in which I've smiled the hardest, your beautiful presence was there. Jesus, as I think about the lowest points of my life, the most sinful, the most painful, the darkest nights of my soul, Jesus, your beautiful presence was there. Jesus, as we stand here this weekend, you are here with us. Not because there's anything magic about this building we're in, but because we as your temple brought you in with us. When we leave, we will take you with us. And so we pause as your church to say, Jesus, you are beautiful. And so as we open up your word this morning, which is living and active, as I often pray, I pray that as a communicator that I would become less and less and you as the beautiful King Jesus would become much, much more. And it's in your name, King Jesus, that we all said, amen. You know, Rocky Peak, the other day I was on my phone scrolling, and don't judge me, you do it too. And specifically, I was on my photo app. And on my iPhone photo app, it's got this interesting feature where it will grab a photo from the past called On This Day, and it'll show you an old photo. And so what ended up happening was once it flashed one of those photos, I ended up going down a rabbit hole of just going through various old photos. Can any of you relate to that, whether on your phone or whether with a physical photo album, is you just start going through these old photos. And one thing that is extraordinary to me about photos is that photos are legitimately time machines, aren't they? I'm talking like a DeLorean, Marty McFly type time machine. Because when you look at a photo, it's not that you're just looking at it, you're transported back to that moment, aren't you? When you're looking at an old photo, you have that experience in which you can hear the sounds, you remember the sights, which you can smell the smells. In fact, one of the most important aspects of the time travel is when you look at an old photo, you feel what you felt, didn't you? Have you ever just looked at an old photo and just smiled because you remembered the joy? Have you ever looked at an old photo and just felt tears well up, whether good or bad or in between? See, photos have an incredible power of taking us back. 
So with that said, I want to ask you to do something for me as we kick things off. See, we not only have physical photos in our possession, but the reality is our hearts capture and keep photos. And so Christ followers that are here this week, and I want to invite you to do something. I want to invite you to go back and reflect on the photo, so to speak, of how your walk with Jesus began. I want you to go back to when you gave your life to Jesus. Specifically, I want you to start remembering as you scroll through those photos, what were the circumstances that led you to acknowledge that Jesus is king? That Jesus forgives sins? That Jesus transforms and overwhelms our lives with his mercy? What were the locations? What were the key people that God used? What were the feelings you were feeling that led up to that moment? What were you feeling in that moment? Scroll, reflect, remember. There's power in remembering, isn't there? There's joy in remembering, there's gratitude in remembering. I'm guilty of not pausing enough to do that in my life. And what would be beautiful is that if we went around this room and we each shared our story of how we came to know Jesus, there would be a beautiful diversity in our stories. There would be a lot of differences, a lot of nuances, a lot of different circumstances, different people, different points that led us to it. And yet, there would be a beauty in the fact that all of our stories would carry two common foundations. The first of those foundations is all of our stories of how we came to know Jesus are the story of surrender. At some point, the Holy Spirit, whether physically or metaphorically, brought us to our knees to declare, Jesus, you are King. Jesus, you are Lord. And we surrendered our heart, meaning we surrendered our lives. And we said, Jesus, we are placing our heart under your authority. You lead, you do as you will. And the second common thread in all of our foundations is through surrender, we experience experienced power, not our power, not the way that power is defined or described in our culture or in our world, but we experience true power, the power of the cross of Jesus, the power of a resurrected king, the power that can only come from God's chosen Messiah, the power that gives life, the power that forgives, the power that restores, the power that resurrected us, that called us off of our knees and said, you are now a new creation. And through surrender, we experience power and the beauty of God's experience in our lives was power was not meant to be a one-time experience. When we gave our lives to Jesus, he gifted us with his Holy Spirit. He gifted us with his Holy Spirit so that now moving forward for all of eternity, we would now walk, we would now live, we would now thrive in the power of the cross. If you have yet to put your life into the hands of Jesus, this is the same invitation he extends to you. But for those of us that have, our stories began with God's power. His vision for our lives is to live in God's power. And so hear me as I ask this important reflection question, are you living in the power of the cross? Are you living in the power that his cross unleashed in your life however long ago? And the reality is, while there are some of us that I'm willing to bet would joyfully and heartfully say, yes, I am, I'm willing to bet that there are many of us that would say no. There are many of us that as we scroll through those photos of our spiritual lives, we remember what it was like. 
We remember experiencing, but as we think about how we stand, how we live now, we would probably go, no, I don't feel his power. No, I'm not expressing his power. No, I'm not living in his power. And we need to take an important moment to start reflecting on why. Why is that the case? And that's not a guilt-inducing question. It's important that we reflect and we acknowledge what is actually going on. And the reality is so many of us, we've lost Hutch with the power that God initially unleashed because of life. Life happened. Life is happening. And the reality is that doesn't always go the way we expect it to. See, photos are powerful, are they not? We have photos of the past, but if we think about it, we also create photos of our preferred future. We create snapshots of how we envision our life going, of how we desire our life going. Snapshots of heading almost like a map. These photos become goals that this is the happiness I want to see. This is how I want to experience. These are the joy. I would like to have, and those are beautiful things, but life has a way of being unexpected, doesn't it? Life has a way of coming after those photos of our future and tugging at it and not taking it away. Life has a way of throwing these curveballs of suffering, throwing these curveballs of trial, throwing these curveballs of broken relationships, throwing these curveballs of sin and temptation, throwing these curveballs of pain, fear, anxiety, anger. God has a way of doing that too, doesn't he? See, sometimes it's the brokenness of life that is tugging at that, future, of that photo of our future. But sometimes that's also God saying no, saying wait, saying slow down, saying refocus. And whether it's life, whether it's the Lord himself, whether it's all of the above, when we feel that preferred future being taken away, we face a very real temptation to take back our hearts, to take back portions of our hearts, to say, okay, Jesus, I want to be happy. I want what is good. I want my life to succeed. I want my life to matter. And you know what? You're great in these areas, but there's this area here, whether it's areas of anger, whether it's what's scaring me, whether it's areas of trust, whether it's areas of finances, whatever it may be, Jesus, maybe you need a break in those areas. Jesus, maybe you're too busy with other things going on. So you know what? I'm gonna go ahead and I'm gonna grab this right here because the boat is rocking and you don't seem to be doing anything, so I'm going to go ahead and take this area back and get it done on my own. And again, no hands need to go up, but we can relate to that, can't we? It's called being a person. But in that, there's a problem. When we take our hearts back, we are taking our hearts away from the source of God's power. When we take our hearts back, it's like if you've heard Michael teach for any length of time, it's the dimmer switch in our lives in which we are taking them away and we stop experiencing the power that God desires in our lives and that leads to issues, doesn't it? You know, as we kick off this series, we're taking a short break from our study in 1 Corinthians. And if you've been with us in that study, you saw that that church started strong. That church started by experiencing God's power unleashed in them. But when we read through 1 Corinthians, we see a church that is an utter and absolute mess. And what happened? Life. What happened? The temptation. What happened? They took their hearts back. As the church of Jesus, we have a problem. And it's a problem of power. You know, recently I was listening to a message, a teaching by Dr. Crawford Loritis. 
And he's a longtime scholar and author, somebody I've come to really, really respect. And as he was preaching to a church in Atlanta, he said this there in your note sheet, that the issue that we have is not one of information or knowledge or exposure. The problem that we struggle with is the absence of power, transforming power. And so Rocky Peak, what I want to begin to engage with us in, because I need this as much as anybody else, is that we have a problem, but Jesus through his cross has presented the solution. And so that's what this whole series is all about. So for the next three weeks, we're gonna be in this ministry called Whole Heart, experiencing God's power unleashed in our lives. And so our world has lost its way. Our culture has lost its way. And if we want to bring hope to a world, hope to a culture that has lost its way, what the world needs is a church that is living in the unleashed power of Jesus. Jesus. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be digging deep into what does that mean? What is this power that Jesus offers us through his death and resurrection? And what are the steps that we can regularly take to continually be focused and unleash that in our lives? Because God's vision is one of power, not that we would live in a trickle of it, but that we would be swimming in a flood and overwhelmed by the power of his Holy Spirit in our our lives and the key to experiencing God's power, the key to it being unleashed in our lives is our hearts. It's not joining the right life group. It's not reading the right book. It's not listening to the right sermon. It's not doing the right service project. And hear me, those are incredible things we should be doing, but the key to unleashing God's power starts in our hearts. And so that's what this series is all about. And so what I want to do this morning is as we kick things off, I want, to, I want to walk us through what I'm calling an epic trilogy of setting the foundation for us. And so in this first part that I want to address this morning is we need a fresh vision of what God's vision of power is in our lives. And so with that, I'm going to invite you to open up your Bibles, turn your apps on. I'm going to invite you to go to the letter of 2 Timothy in the New Testament, the second half of our Bible. Bibles. 2 Timothy, and we're going to be going to chapter 1. And as you're turning there, 2 Timothy is a letter that is written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing this as he is in prison. This is one of his last writings before he was executed. He's writing to a young pastor, a young leader, a partner of his named Timothy, who is doing the work of the Lord in the city of Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus, which would be located in now modern day Turkey. And so in 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be starting at verse 3. The apostle says, I thank God, whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day. Would you underline or highlight that? Night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. One thing that we see throughout these letters to Timothy is that Paul had a deep parental love for Timothy. And especially in 2 Timothy, as, it's, as he's handing off the ministry and going, now it's your time. We see that love and we see that care, that care come up again. Verse four, recalling your tears. Would you underline or highlight that? Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. Verse five, I am reminded of your sincere faith. Underline or highlight that sincere faith which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So let's pause right there and unpack a little of what we're seeing. We don't know specifically what, but Paul is addressing the fact that Timothy is experiencing hardship. Timothy is experiencing suffering. Timothy is experiencing life. And whatever it is that he's experiencing, it's obviously causing Timothy distress because Paul is addressing Timothy's tears. And one thing that's important for us as we unpack 
unpack this scripture is sometimes we can think about these biblical heroes like Paul himself, like Timothy, and we can think that they were unflappable super Christians. And this is a beautiful reminder that Timothy's just a normal person. Paul is just a normal person. They feel, they failed, they experience pain just like we do. And so as Timothy is likely experiencing a situation in which he is experiencing the very real temptation to take his heart back. We can relate with that, can't we? In fact, for some of you as you sit here this morning, what are your tears? What is your hardship? What is your temptation in which you're honestly going, God, I don't know about this. God, I don't know about what you're doing. God, I don't know how to go forward. God, are you hearing my prayers? Are you hearing my cry? And so as Paul addresses Timothy, he speaks directly to Timothy's heart because this is an issue of the heart. That's what's meant by sincere faith. To say that someone has faith biblically is to say that their heart has been transformed by the resurrected King Jesus. To say that Timothy has faith is Paul reminding Timothy that you are now a new creation. Do you notice what Paul doesn't do? Paul does not minimize Timothy's suffering. Paul does not excuse or brush off the pain. Paul doesn't give a platitude going, Timothy, don't worry about it. All you need is Jesus and move on. To all acknowledge, he empathizes, he feels with it. He goes, it is real. You are hurting, but God is present in your heart. And he reminds Timothy of who the power of God has transformed him to be. And I love that he puts Timothy into this bigger story of faith. And I want to make a quick sidebar that I've made before in this passage and is absolutely important to make is Paul calls out and he celebrates the family members that have passed down the faith to Timothy and those have been the women in his life. We don't know if Timothy's father had passed away or if Timothy's father simply wasn't a believer. But what we do know is that the women in his life were the single spiritual parents that impacted him. And I want to highlight that because Rocky Peak, we have some incredible single moms here. We have some incredible single spiritual moms here. And if that's you, because of you, because of your diligence, because of your work, we have Timothy's. So the Lord is honored and thank you for what you're doing. But he speaks directly to Timothy's heart. And then he goes into verse six, for this reason I remind you to fan into flame, would you underline or highlight that, fan into flame, the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. What happens when you fan a flame? It gets bigger. Again, he's reminding him, anchor yourself in God's power. And then he goes on to verse seven, but I'd like you to do something for me if you would. Let's read verse seven out of the front of your note sheet because I really like how the ESV translation puts it. He is speaking to Timothy's heart and he says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God gave us a spirit, again, the Holy Spirit, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, not of fear, but of power. Rocky Peak, there are some of us that beautifully need to feel the weight and the impact of God's word right now. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Paul is reminding Timothy of God's vision for Timothy. Paul is reminding us of God's vision for us today, that God has given us his gift of his spirit, that he has given us his gift of his power to now define our lives, to now define every area, the good and the bad, the easy and the suffering, that it all be defined by the power of God's unleashed spirit. See, this is God's vision for us. And we see from the model of the Apostle Paul that this is an issue of the heart and it has to be dealt at the heart level. 
And so as we transition into part two of what I've been calling this epic trilogy, with Paul's words as our foundation, we need to talk truth about, we need a different paradigm of our heart because often we view heart in a very Disney movie view of heart. We view heart as being our emotions and nothing else as the feeler part of our lives. And hear me, feelings and emotions are a gift from God. They are a beautiful aspect of our hearts, but they are not the totality of our hearts. They are not simply what the Bible is talking about when it's talking about heart. It's talking about more. And so part two is why does this have to be a heart issue? So there on your note sheet, you've got a section titled Whole Heart, the Starting Point. And your fill-in is this, our hearts reveal truth. Our hearts reveal truth. We live in a world of lies. We are inundated by lies. And often we don't realize that those lies have an impact on our hearts. That those lives begin to filter our hearts and what comes out of our hearts. And so the reason why God's power is an issue of the heart is because that is the core of our being. In the Old Testament, when they would talk about heart, the best way to describe it was they were talking about the control center of our whole being. And so when Jesus said, I am the truth, beginning with that starting point, we need him to lead us into a new truth of who he is and a new truth of who we are. The heart matters above all else. In fact, I've heard it put this way by by another pastor that I like, a guy named John Tyson, who once said that there is no greater battleground than the battleground of your hearts. The heart reveals truth. And in fact, it reveals truth in two key areas. The first one is this. The hearts reveal truth about identity. You know, numerous times from up here, I've quoted the great scholar and theologian, Michael Scott from The Office. And specifically, I've quoted him in my favorite quote of his in which he begrudgingly asks Toby, the HR rep, why are you the way that you are. And it is an incredible scene. But the reality is how many times in your life have you asked that same question of other people? How many times in your life have you said, why are you the way you are? Maybe you didn't say it out loud. But how many times have you wondered it? In fact, I'm willing to bet some of you had that experience this morning, likely on the freeway as you were driving to church, where you wondered, why are you the way that you are? And that is a fair question. But the truth is, as much as I poke fun at it, it is a convicting question because I am really good at asking that question of other people. And I am very poor at asking that question of myself. So Rocky Peak, why are you the way that you are? The answer is because of your heart. And that's why the cross of Jesus is all about transforming our hearts. Because Jesus has not come to transform a behavior, has not come to transform a simple attitude, has not come to transform a single action. Jesus has come to transform our very identities and that means he has come to overwhelm and dominate our hearts. One of my heroes, as some of you know, is the late great Dallas Willard incredible author, incredible scholar, longtime philosophy professor at USC, and he writes this on your note sheet from actually one of his most famous books, The Renovation of the Heart. He says that the heart is precisely what God observes and addresses in human beings. He cares little or nothing for outward show. He responds to the heart because it is above all who we are, who we choose and have chosen to be, and what God wants 
power, what God wants can only come from there. And so this is an issue of the heart because our identity flows from our hearts. But the second thing is that our, our hearts reveal truth there on your note sheet about authority. Our identity is inseparably linked to who we bow the knee to, to who the authority in our life is. And Christ followers, if you've hung around church for any length of time, you have heard someone at some point use the phrase, I have given my heart to Jesus. Jesus has my heart. And hear me, that is a wonderful phrase. I am not making fun of it, so please don't email me. We have heard that phrase However, it is one thing to say it. It is a completely different thing to live it. We need to stop and ask ourselves the honest question because if we're gonna say that Jesus has my heart, what we are saying is that Jesus, my life is under your control, is under your authority, do as you will. We would say that in a platitude sense, God is in control of my life and we need to pause often and go, is it? And if I can be vulnerable with you, when I honestly sit before the Lord and I have him reveal truth to me, I have him examine that in my life, he reveals that when I say that phrase, often it's about 70% true. And I think a lot of us can relate to that, can't we? That there are certain areas in our life in which we go, yes! Jesus, you are king. Yes, Jesus, you are Lord. Yes, Jesus, your will be done. But I think if we're gonna be honest, which again, family, that's what this is all about. If we're gonna be honest, we would also go, yes, these are the areas, God, you rule, you, your will be done however you wanna do things, except here. Except when it comes to my finances. Because I've got hopes, I've got struggles, I've got dreams. God, yes, your will be done, except when it comes to my mouth and how I talk about other people, the way the people that have wronged me, the way the people I disagree with, the way the people that stand against your name, your will be done, except when it comes to social media and what I'm ingesting and what I'm putting out. God, your will be done, except when it comes to my sex life and how I operate and how I view that. God, your will be done, except when it comes to my sense of safety and comfortability and not wanting to rock the boat God, your will be done except when it comes to this area of addiction, whether it's a substance, whether it's pornography, whether it's something else, God, something that's got his hooks on me. God, your will be done except. And it's the dimmer switch. But here's the beautiful thing about our precious Jesus is that he is all about truth not so that we live in shame and in guilt. Jesus is not in the business of wagging an angry finger in your face and telling you how much you have failed him. Jesus is in the business of transformation, meaning Jesus will bring a holy conviction. Jesus will reveal truth, but when Jesus reveals, here is the 30, the 40, the 50% of your heart that is not under our authority, Jesus will remind us, I have given you my spirit to teach you how to come back under my authority, how to come back under my leadership, how to come back under the power of my cross. The beauty of Jesus, the gift of the Holy Spirit is that we are not meant to figure this out on our own. Our Jesus doesn't go, figure it out, then come to me when all of the problems are gone. He says, I'm here, I'm present, I've entered into this mess, let's do this together. 
That is why identity and authority are so important to experiencing his power because his power unleashed is not something reserved for when we achieve a form of perfection, but his power unleashed is for the here and the now in the middle of the mess because again, his power gives life and forgiveness and restoration. And so this act of surrender is an act of power. And so there again from Dallas Willard on your note sheet, when we surrender our hearts to God, we consent to his supremacy in all things. The heart of the spirit is now willing for God to be God. I love that phrase. It's now willing for God to be God. And so again, why did we need to understand the heart Because identity and authority are inseparable from God's power unleashed in our lives. And so if we want to experience more of that power, it has to be dealt with by the Holy Spirit at the level of our hearts. There in your note sheet from Mark's gospel, what's often called the greatest commandment, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And we know that it continues on to talk about that. Jesus is identifying the the highest purpose of our lives, the most important thing we can do. But as we've established, he doesn't leave us alone to figure out how to do this. He has given us his spirit. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and I will show you how to do that. Now with that foundation being laid, we can go into the third part of this trilogy. And that's what do these practical steps look like? And this week and the two to come, we're gonna be looking at three key steps, I would say three essential steps to unleashing the Holy Spirit in our life. But before we do, I wanna remind us one of one very important thing, Rocky Peak. We are here to declare, God, you be God. Remember, his ways are higher. His thoughts are not my thoughts, meaning that God's way of unleashing power is not gonna be always what makes sense to me, what is comfortable to me. It's not always gonna be something that can easily wrap my mind around. It's not always gonna be what is expected, but it is the way to life. So before we unpack this, just where you're sitting, just silently in your head and in your heart, I just wanna invite you to pray and to say, okay, Jesus, okay, let's do this your way. Let's do this your way. There in your note sheet, you've got a section titled Experiencing Power Through Surrender. The foundation of God's power being unleashed in our lives is surrender. And so practically we need to start there. And so there you're filling, Jesus' power is unleashed in a repentant heart. Jesus' power is unleashed in a repentant heart. Let me ask you something, Rocky Peak. How do you feel about the word repentance or the concept of repentance? I'm sure that there's some of us in here that would probably respond with, Dre, I was with you. I was down when you were talking about power but now you brought repentance into this. And the truth is in a room this side, there's a wide spectrum of feelings and understanding towards the word or the idea of repentance. There are people here that have a positive, a joyful, a high view of repentance. The truth is there are some of us here that have a very fearful or anxious response to repentance. If you were gonna list out the scary sounding religious words, repentance is probably at the top of that list. There are some of us here that when we think of repentance, 
repentance or hear repentance, it immediately brings up feelings of guilt. And for a lot of us, that may have to do with our upbringing or our religious upbringing. There are some of us that repentance is confusing. We don't fully understand it. We don't hear it in a lot of context. There are some of us that our view of repentance is limited. We understand and we get that our journey with Jesus began with repentance, but we think that's what's then. I repent Ted. I repented in the past. It's done, right? As we move forward. Again, there is a wide, wide spectrum. But what I have come to find in my own life, what I've come to find in church life is that often as Christ followers, we have way too low of an understanding. We have way too low of an appreciation of what repentance is. Repentance is the highway to God's power unleashed in our life because repentance declares regularly God's identity. You are God and I am not. And repentance regularly declares, I am placing my life, my heart, every area under your authority. And so as you look at that fill-in, Jesus' power is unleashed, not in a heart that repented, but in a heart that continually repents. Hence, and what I want to do as we go back to scripture is I want the Holy Spirit to give us a different paradigm of what this is. If you saw the front cover of your note sheet, I dared to title this message, Beautiful Repentance. And there are some of us here that honestly go, those two words should not ever be together. And I'm not saying the repentance is easy. I'm not saying the repentance doesn't sting or hurt. I'm not saying the repentance doesn't have consequences because our sins have consequences. But the truth is repentance is beautiful because it is a declaration of how loved we are. It is a declaration of identity, who Jesus is, who we are as a result. And it is the factor that unleashes the Holy Spirit's power in our lives. And so would you please turn to Matthew chapter three. And these are in your note sheet, but I'm a sucker for seeing things out of our own Bibles. So Matthew chapter three. Starting at verse one. In those days, and that usually indicates a turning point in scripture. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And let's stop right there. Again, context is what breaks scripture come to life. It helps us understand and experience scripture as it's meant to be. So a little bit of context here between the end of what we now call the Old Testament and where we are now in the New Testament at the time of the gospels, there was roughly 400 years of what is commonly called silence, meaning that there was not a new word from God, not a new prophet that was raised by God to speak. And what happened to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people, in those 400 years was incredible suffering, was incredible pain, was incredible unexpected trials. They were conquered by various kingdoms. And so as we open up the gospels, we are now with the people of God who have been beat down. They are under the oppression of the Roman government. They are desperate for any new word about the anticipated Messiah, God's chosen person that is supposed to come and rescue them. And John the Baptist has been raised as the first prophet in centuries. So there is probably a level of excitement for what he has to say. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now this is extraordinary in a lot of different ways. Kingdom was something that they were hoping for a new word from. They were hoping that when God said kingdom, it would be in the context of uh, overthrowing the earthly kingdoms of their enemies and their oppressors. It would be establishing an earthly kingdom for his people so that they could rule and live in what they viewed as peace. John the Baptist is here saying, yes, the kingdom of God. Yes, the kingdom of power is near. And he's speaking to the people of God first and he's telling them, them repent. Now this had to be confusing on some levels. 
Because they likely are sitting, hearing this going, why do we need to repent? They need to repent. They're the ones away from God. They're the ones that have abandoned you. They're the ones that are the pagan that are worshiping all these other gods. Why do we need to repent? And what we see here is because God's power starts with his followers first. And if we're gonna change the world, it starts with an individual heart. It starts with a family. It starts with a church. And then it overtakes the world. And so repentance is the way we unleash that power because God wants us to send a clear message to the world that has yet to believe that Jesus is king, that Jesus offers life, that Jesus offers restoration and forgiveness and how we model that is through a beautiful repentance. Now we can see that and go, well that's just John, he lived in the wilderness, wore camel hair, that guy was crazy. That doesn't come up any other time, right? Flip ahead one chapter to Matthew chapter four. Verse 17. From that time on, again, we have another turning point. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come John's mission was to be what I call the opening act to the main event. And in this transition, he had been imprisoned. He had accomplished what God had set him out to do. His time was done and Jesus was beginning his era of ministry. And in what is considered the first recorded preaching of Jesus, he echoes the same message. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. And there's a couple of things we need to understand about this. One, whenever Jesus speaks, it is the king speaking. And so the king is not saying if you get a chance. The king is not saying if you agree. The king is not saying if you can work it in your schedule. The king is issuing a command to his church, to his people, and he is saying repent so that the kingdom of God, so that the power of God can be unleashed in your life. And again, for some of us, we view repentance in this paradigm of sin, in this paradigm of shame, in this paradigm of I am a terrible person, but Jesus, as Michael would say, is putting neon lights around this going, do you understand what repentance is? Repentance is experiencing forgiveness. Repentance is experiencing freedom. Repentance is experiencing your relationships restored. Repentance is experiencing your identity clearly. Repentance is experiencing the power of God unleashed in your life. Repentance is you being reminded regularly that you are a son, you are a daughter of God the Father, and he deeply, deeply loves you for all of eternity. And so he begins with his people because it is our opportunity to model to a world that doesn't yet believe the beauty of repentance, the beauty of the restoration it brings, of the life it brings, and all of that is the power that can only be found in the cross of Jesus. We could go on and on in scripture to show the examples of this message. But there in your note sheet, I put an example from Matthew chapter six. Famously, this is part of what we call the Lord's Prayer. See, Jesus gives us a model for how we're to pray, not necessarily that these are the specific words, but he talks about how rich our prayer lives can begin. And a lot of us are familiar with this as we go through the Lord's Prayer. Jesus models that we get to declare our Father, again, family, who is in heaven, hallowed, meaning beautiful, worthy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven heaven. And so what do we see in the Lord's Prayer? Are those two things we were talking about earlier, a declaration of identity and a declaration of authority. And so we see the beauty of the Lord's Prayer. And there in your note sheet in Matthew chapter 6, and forgive us our debts. Another way of saying, and forgive us of our sins as we have also forgiven our debtors, those that have sinned against us. And so Jesus has been teaching us that repentance is not an obligation. Repentance is a gift of restoration. 
and in his model of how we communicate with our Father, God the Father, he adds a paradigm shift of being proactive, of saying, Holy Spirit, show me what I don't see on my own. Holy Spirit, convict me of what I do see and I've been ignoring. Holy Spirit, clear anything in my heart that is taking me a step or two or three or multiple away from your power and your love in my life. See, sometimes we have too low of a view of repentance because we view it as something we do because we got caught. The Holy Spirit is inviting us to stop playing the defensive and go on the offensive. And the offensive is what leads us to power. Repentance is experiencing the love of God regularly in our lives. Let me share with this illustration, not my illustration, but recently I was listening to an author named Rebecca McLaughlin. I've come to really enjoy her writing. She's brilliant. She's got a PhD in like medieval English literature and a theology degree. And she was recently teaching at a conference and I was watching the stream of it. And she shared this example of going to pick up her three-year-old son from daycare. And she talked about how when she walked into the room from across the room, he turned and he saw her and his huge smile came across his face and he dead sprinted into her, at her and just jumped into her arms. And I love what she said, that he did not do that in the hope that she would love him, but he did that because he is already loved. And the reason why I share this picture is because truly, Rocky Peak, that is a picture of repentance. Repentance is us running into the arms of Jesus who already loves us. We don't go into repentance in the hope that King Jesus would love us. We go into repentance to be reminded that King Jesus loves us and how beautiful a picture it is that it is in repentance that King Jesus reminds us that we are loved even as we are revealing the most sinful and the most dirty and the messiest parts of our lives. For some of us, repentance is our opportunity to run into the arms of Jesus and to be loved as we confess how we have broken relationships, to be loved as we confess that we have let fear and anger be our authority instead of him, to confess our addictions, to confess our, our selfishness, to confess our lack of willingness to obey our comfortability. Repentance is an opportunity to feel the embrace of Jesus in these dark moments and to be loved through it. And it's through that that we experience his power unleashed. Repentance unleashes the power of God in our lives. We have the opportunity to make repentance a regular rhythm of our walk with Jesus. And hear me, I know that can sound intimidating, that can sound nerve-wracking, that can sound scary, but let me remind you of something. If we continually fall into the temptation of trying to find the easy path of Christianity, we will never experience the power of God in our lives. We were not created for the easy. We were created to do the hard things, which is why we are given the power of God. And so there are a lot of ways to experience this rhythm, but there on, your, on the back of your note sheet, I just wanna talk about one, a rhythm of beauty. And it's this, again, if you've heard me teach, I will always ask you 
to spend some time alone, unrushed, uninterrupted time with Jesus in the next 24 hours. And the reason I say that is these experiences we have together on the weekends are important. They're essential. This is why community matters. But this experience is meant to be a catalyst for you to go and be one-on-one with your Jesus. That is where significant transformation is going to take place. And so I would encourage you, would you carve out some time in the next 24 hours to sit before the Lord in a posture of repentance? And again, there are a lot of ways you can do this, but I want to give you one way, and that's what's called praying scripture. And that may sound kind of complicated, but it's actually beautifully simple. Scripture is truth. And so what praying scripture is, is that we go before the Lord with a specific verse or a specific passage of scripture, and we let it be our voice. We let it be the declaration of our hearts. And so there, specifically in your note sheet, the scripture from Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so what I would invite you to do, Rocky Peak, is to go before the Lord, is to say that scripture in your head, in your heart, out loud, and to say, Jesus, this is my prayer. And I need your eyes. This is my prayer. And from there, wait. Listen, feel, write, come back. Because sometimes God isn't going to respond the first time, not because he's absent, but because he knows he needs us to develop a rhythm and settle us before we're ready to truly hear. But go before the Lord and say that. And the second thing I would encourage is that when it comes to repentance, that we would memorize scripture See, I mentioned that we live in a world of lies and that has an impact on our hearts and how we combat lives is with God as the ultimate truth. And I may not always have a Bible or my phone handy, but I will always have my heart with me. And so memorizing scripture is like the lost art of spiritual warfare, that when we memorize scripture, we are anchoring, rooting truth in our hearts. And I don't know about you, but often that's a practice I have avoided because I have a great excuse. I'm not good at memorizing. It's not about being good. You're not being graded on this. It's about the process of immersing our hearts in truth. And as an example, I love this verse there in your notes for 1 John 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The apostle John, decades after physically walking with Jesus, is still ringing the bell of the beauty of repentance. And who is he writing this to? The church so that we would not lose sight of how beautiful this is. Now let me encourage you, Rocky Peak, you don't have to be good at memorizing, it's more about the process. There's not a magic way to do this, just try different ways. At different points in my life, I have printed this out and I've put it in front of my refrigerator because I spend a lot of time there. (laughs) There have been times in my life in which I've screenshotted verses and saved them to my phone, put them on my lock screen or put them in a folder in my phone. There have been times in my life where I've just listened to it through the Bible app. It plays it out loud to you and try to memorize it that way. Recently, my wife has been memorizing some key scriptures in her life and I've been finding these post-it notes on our car, just on our dash as it goes in. There have been times in which I've done this with other people in which we text each other the verse just as a reminder. Again, there's no magic way to do it. It's more about engaging with the process. Okay. I think that's good for this weekend, Rocky Peak. <laughs> uh, so, as we close out our time, we're going to go into a time of worship. I'm going to invite the band to come back up. And we're going to sing a song called Whole Heart. <laughs> But one of the beautiful things about this song is that this is a joyful declaration of repentance. Through this song, we get to declare and say, because of Jesus, I am healed, I am forgiven. 
Because of Jesus, I can say, where are my chains now? And so Rocky Peak, as we go into this final song, I wanna encourage you, let this be an opportunity for the Lord to do some beautiful work in your life. Maybe during the song, you need to take the posture of receiving. Maybe that's sitting. Maybe that's dropping to your knees. Maybe that's coming to the front, whatever the Lord is calling you to. Maybe during this time, you need to take the posture of celebration in which you need to just burst out of your chair. You need to sing loudly. You need to put your arms out. Make sure you check with your neighbor. You need to spill into the aisles if you need. Maybe this is a time in which you need to do a different posture, whatever the Lord leads. But let this be a time again in which we declare, Jesus, you are king. Your will be done. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, as your church, we are here to say, we repent. Jesus, as your son, I say that I repent. I'm thankful for my family and my friends that I don't have to do this alone, that we get to walk together. Jesus, I remember the last time I was teaching these services and I shared that you have been convicting me that I've allowed circumstances, I've allowed things going on in my life to beat the joy of the Lord out of me. And so Jesus, as I'm still wrestling with that, I need to repent of that. And I'm grateful that you wrap your arms around me. I'm grateful that you fill me with your beauty, with your word, with your grace, with your mercy. Ultimately, you unleash life and your power in me and in us, Jesus. And so here we are as your local church to say, we repent, Jesus. And we say that beautifully. We say that with tears of joy coming down our face. Jesus, we repent because that is a declaration of love. That is an acknowledgement of how loved we are. That is a declaration that our identity has been transformed, that we place our heart in your authority. Jesus, there are areas we took and so we give them back. Thank you that because of you, we get to say healed and forgiven. And there are some of us here that need to feel that truth. We are healed and forgiven. And so Jesus, we declare that we are repenting. Thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in your name we all said, amen. Let's